We're back, and we're very pleased in this segment to have with us Danny Schechter. Danny Schechter is the co-founder and executive producer of Global Vision, a New York-based television and film production company that's now in its 13th year, where he has produced 157 editions of the award-winning series South Africa Now. Mr. Schechter is a Cornell University graduate, and he's received a master's degree from the London School of Economics. Danny Schechter's professional journalism career began in 1970 when he was named news director and the principal newscaster for at WBCN-FM in Boston, where he was hailed as a radio innovator and won many industry awards, including two major Armstrong awards. Schechter left Boston to join the staff at CNN as a producer based in Atlanta. He then moved to ABC as a producer for 2020, where during his eight years he won two National News Emmys. Danny Schechter's been adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Journalism at Columbia University, and his writings have appeared in leading newspapers and magazines, including The Nation, Newsday, The Boston Globe, and The Columbia Journalism Review. Danny Schechter, welcome to Radio Parallax. What led a producer for CNN and ABC, someone who taught journalism at Columbia University, to go out and found his own television and film company? Is that the question, or, or is that the answer? <laughs> I think the I think the answer is you know the same concerns that all of us have with the media working in the media working in the mainstream media can be a very unfulfilling experience if you bring to that work the slightest amount of critical perspectives you become very frustrated very soon about what you're able to cover what you aren't I've written about it in my book the more you watch the less you know mm -hmm. and as a result of of my experience inside ABC News 2020 for eight years I worked at CNN as well I worked in commercial radio for 10 years I worked at PBS stations and local uh, news stations uh, local outlets in, in Boston and, you know I came to feel that I wanted to have some more control over what I did. I wanted to tackle subjects that mattered. I wanted to marry money and meaning. Consequently, with my partner Rory O'Connor, we created Global Vision 16 years ago. We're still here, barely, uh, trying to make independent media that, that uh, raises important questions about what's happening in our society. Well, we're doing our own small part in what we can to the alternate media to get, get messages out. Um, you wrote in The Weapons of Mass Deception, your recent book, that Michael Powell at the FCC might be uh, rewarding Rupert Murdoch and other media players for their support uh, in the war in Iraq by then allowing them to own more of the media. Are things really that blatant? Here's the story. I've written this book, Weapons of Mass Deception, Embedded Weapons of Mass Deception, not to be confused with another book of, the, of, of a similar name, which focuses on the role of the media during the Iraq War, why the media brought us the story the way it did, how it cheerled for the war, and why it covered the war the way it did. And as I investigated all of this, you know, it's obvious that the media system in our country is dominated by commercial interests, dominated by big business. And just before the war began, all the big media companies were lobbying the FCC uh, for a new media rules that would allow them at basically to kind of end certain regulatory practices so they could buy up even more of the media spectrum, even more stations than they own right now. And so this lobbying began quietly in a sort of stealth way before the war actually started. Uh, then uh, at the end of the war, June 2nd, the FCC votes three to two uh, to give the media moguls what they want. And, and Michael Powell, son of Colin Powell, the chairman of the FCC, gives a speech and he says, among other things, the reason we need big media companies 
is because only big media companies can cover the war the way this war was being covered, okay? And so this led me to raise some questions. Could there have been a, pro, a quid pro quo, a deal? And I've, I've asked a number of people about this, including a uh, former FCC commissioner, an FCC commissioner, Ralph Nader, the consumer crusader, uh, as well as a member of Congress. And they all say, look, Danny, don't be naive. This is how politics works. It's a favor bank. You know, it's a trade. You know, you, you do this for me, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. And in this case, uh, it, it appears as if there was a quid pro quo that went like this. You, FCC, you waive the rules. We will waive the flag. And I think that's, that's in, in effect, what happened. That doesn't mean that every journalist covering this war was told what to do or was controlled from on high and all the rest of it. But it, it's a culture of complicity. And it's in that culture of complicity that we got the kind of coverage that we did, which it basically endorsed, embraced, and sold the war. Are you encouraged by the outcry there's been in, in, in regards to that FCC ruling? You know, here's an interesting story. I mean, it's, I think, a very significant story. The FCC is, is deliberating on these rules. Now, the story is not being covered in any of our major newspapers. And when it is being covered, it's covered as a business story. In other words, only of interest to people in the business world who do business with the FCC or the broadcast media or, or, or somehow directly affected as if the public and the public interest doesn't have, have to be informed about this, okay? And so there's almost no coverage. Despite that, when people found out Okay, that the FCC was giving away more of the broadcast spectrum to our biggest media moguls, people got upset. And, and when I say people got upset, I mean more than two and a half million Americans wrote to the FCC, wrote to Congress from the right and the left. An unusual coalition of concern emerged. Senator Trent Lott, for example, Senator John McCain on the Republican side were, were supporting a rollback of these FCC rules as well as many members, Democratic members of Congress and the like. So you had a reaction, the likes of which we haven't seen on any other policy issue in recent memory. I mean, the response to this was extraordinary. Yeah. I think it's because media touches a nerve, because people are really upset about the mainstream media. They're, they're, they're disappointed in the way they're, they're treated, dumb, the dumbing down of news, the you know, the various ways in which our media system is not really playing the role it should be in our in our democracy. Uh, well, of course, one thing that you mentioned in Embedded Weapons of Mass Deception, you talk about uh, the Jessica Lynch story. There was a great deal of skepticism about this story overseas, and yet that was not the, the message that well, was here. Well, actually, what happened here is interesting, and this is what makes what... what you know, the fact that NBC just did this this uh, docudrama last week about her even more striking and more sickening, okay? The Washington Post covered this story as if it was a handout from the Pentagon. Heroic soldier fights her way against the evil Iraqis, is, 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 is injured, captured, and, and uh, you know, uh, probably... Uh, abused. Okay, that was the frame that we had. And she was the heroine of, of the war at a time when the war didn't seem to be going so well. Suddenly along comes damsel in distress, okay? And, and Americans rallied behind her and the media couldn't do enough stories about her. 
Then the BBC looked at, into this. They did a program on their correspondence series analyzing what actually happened. They went to the hospital. They spoke to the doctors. Uh, and they came up with a very, very different story about what happened, which basically showed that the Pentagon version was, was full of holes. The Washington Post then did a long piece analyzing its own journalism and apologizing for it saying that they were wrong. Okay, the ombudsman of the Washington Post critiqued his own newspaper. Okay, and so, uh, you know, and, and so you would think the story would be there, but no, NBC came along and is still trying to milk this story. Uh, you know, now there are two books out about it. There's, there's this docudrama. All the networks competed to try to get her, get the big get, as they say, try to get her for an interview or family and the like. Now, she, to her credit, has basically said, you know, a lot of the stories weren't true and she didn't you know respond uh, on that she didn't try as blatantly to be exploitative and of course as the case of her colleague you know her fellow soldier comrade in arms Shoshana the black woman who was terribly treated and abused uh, who gets almost no no attention whatsoever in your on your media website mediachannel.org you have a quote uh, currently from Tammy Baldwin, Democratic representative from Wisconsin's 2nd District, which uh, you were quite struck by, and I was quite struck by you repeating it. Um, quote, I, for one, this is a congressman talking, am enraged about the current state of our media, enraged that I, as a member of the United States Congress, find I have to turn to foreign sources and outlets for unbiased coverage, or any coverage at all, of the world situation. Well, there you go. I mean, this is, you know, we've had years and years of the networks closing their bureaus overseas. So in an age of globalization, we've had less global news at a time when global news is more important than ever. What we do get of the world is America in the world. We hear about what the United States is doing, usually from a positive perspective, but we don't, you know, the president is traveling here and there. We usually don't get much of a sense of how other people in the world feel about what's going on. And that's, and that's a significant problem, you know. Uh, and this congresswoman spoke to it. I was in Madison, Wisconsin, for the National Media Reform Conference that took place last weekend. 2,000 people came, uh, and, and, and many of them really brilliant, powerful speakers, many members of Congress. Bill Moyers was there. Studs Terkel, the famous writer, was there. Jesse Jackson was there. Uh, and, and there was a tremendous uh, critique offered of what's happening, why the American people are not being well served by our media system. And that's why we created MediaChannel.org as a network. We started with 20 groups. We now have 1,100 organizations that are affiliated with the Media Channel. Walter Cronkite is our lead advisor. We're speaking with Danny Schechter, award-winning independent filmmaker. What media sources do you go to when you, when you, when you like the congressman are looking to get some uh, unbiased coverage? Well, you know, our company is called Global Vision. And so we tend to be global in our orientation. And when we want to know about what's going on in the world, we usually go to the media sources in the countries themselves that we're interested in because we often find that they're closer to the ground, they speak the language, they can offer perspectives. We also you know, are aware of uh, newspapers in England like The Guardian and The Independent that offer a fascinating perspective. The BBC, the CBC, uh, you know, which is on some satellite uh, uh, digital satellite uh, cable systems in the United States. So, you know, I try to I try to be as diverse as I can in my media diet, so to speak, uh, and read as widely as I can. Uh, and I write about every morning on on Media Channel. I write a column, a blog. You know, it's three thousand words usually, which covers 
all the, the news stories of the day, but also offers other angles on them and other perspectives that Americans are not seeing. Well, you produced and directed quite a few TV specials and films, uh, including Falun Gong's Ch- Challenge to China, A Hero for All, Nelson Mandela's Farewell. Uh, one I'd like to talk about was um, one you produced in 1992. We're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the assassination of, uh, of President Kennedy. And um, sort of in response to the controversy over Oliver Stone's movie, you produced, I guess, and co-directed uh, Beyond JFK, The Question of Conspiracy. So what, what led you to go to bat for Oliver Stone? Well, you know, first of all, I, don't, I didn't go to bat for him, but, you know, uh, you know, I shouted out who killed the Kennedys, was it me or you? <laughs> Along with the Rolling Stones and everybody else. You know, I lived through that era. Uh, I, I, I watched the, the, the television coverage of the assassination that have obviously affected me as it affected everybody. To this day, 80% of the American people do not believe we have the full truth on the Kennedy assassination. When, when Oliver Stone was making JFK, he reached out to our company because JFK was a drama, a fiction, you know, a fictional fictionalization. You know, he, he reached out to us to try to do a documentation of the real story based on some of his own sources. He gave us access to the movie. He gave us access to his uh, some of his sources that no one had ever heard or seen before. And we did a 90-minute a uh, documentary called Beyond JFK. And that documentary is now just out on DVD with the director's cut of the movie JFK for the first time, uh, you know, on DVD. Which I would like to unabashedly plug. I think that uh, a lot of younger people have never seen uh, the movie, especially the director's cut, which has, I think, a lot, 18 minutes of footage, which should have been left in. Right. And with your companion video, which I watched last week, uh, I would say it... uh, it's an excellent piece of work. I compliment you. Well, thanks very much. You know, and ABC, of course, is coming out with a documentary on November 22nd that says Lee Harvey Oswald did it. They've re- done their own reconstruction. The other networks have done reconstructions as well. And, you know, and the, the producer was quoted as saying he doesn't think it'll have much effect on people because most people don't believe that this was simply the work of one man, although... You know, and one man alone, okay? He could have been the shooter, maybe. Who knows? It doesn't seem likely from from the evidence I've seen. But, you know, strange things happen. But I I think the reason the Kennedy assassination remains as fascinating to so many people as it has, the reason there are thousands of citizen investigators and researchers, is the strong feeling that our government is lying to us and has lied to us over the years. After the Kennedy assassination, some years later, the Pentagon Papers came out. And it was like a secret history of the Vietnam War that went back through four administrations, Democrat and Republican. And what what you found was a pattern of deception of the government saying one thing to the people and one thing to themselves, another thing to themselves. And that's part of what I discovered in this new book of mine on weapons of mass deception about the Iraq war, that we weren't being told the truth. Uh, and that the media particularly was playing a very deceptive role in all of this, our, our, most of our broadcast media. That doesn't mean everybody, it doesn't mean that there wasn't some good reporting, but by and large, I think it was, it was, a, it was a, a complete aberration, you know, in terms of what journalism should be. And it was very upsetting, and that's why I, I, I've done the book, and I'm trying to make a movie about that right now, uh, although it's hard to find funding for independent films, you know. You taught journalism at Columbia University. Do you see a continuity? Let, let's go to do, if we could be a little more uh, academic here. Do, do you see a continuity of media manipulation going back to the Warren Report in 1963 and then today's coverage well, of the war in Iraq? I mean, 
You know, I, I think the, the event that probably most, you know, triggers a comparison, if you will, because the war in Iraq was something that was debated, you know. But the 9-11, for example, where today there are many people who, who have various theories who do not believe the government view. And then we have a commission, very much like a Warren Commission, appointed, you know, uh, by the president uh, that is investigating uh, what what happened on 9-11. The government is not fully making available all of its documents, just as the U.S. government did in, after the Kennedy assassination. Right. It's only been 30 years later that a National Records Commission was set up to actually get all the assassination records, most of which are now available. Which but, we should but, mention did come out as a direct result of the movie JFK, the outcry over that. Yeah, right. We had a personal experience that I, that I you know, detailed in the movie, which was... Nightline uh, went into the archive of the KGB in Russia to get their file, the Lee Harvey Oswald files. It was one of the most highly rated Nightlines of all times. And, of course, at the time, Nightline did not mention that, that the CIA would not give the same kind of access, okay, and provide access to our own files on Lee Harvey Oswald. So our company wrote to the CIA saying, look, the KGB has opened up. Uh, will you do so as well? And, of course, they said no. <laughs> but, you know, that's the point. The point is that, you know, often what's really going on it takes a long, long time for it to come out. I'll give you another example. might be a little obscure, given the, the U.S. is something academic. Uh, you know, back in... Back at the turn of the century, there was the Spanish-American War. Everybody in America was saying, remember the Maine. You know, mm -hmm. a ship was sunk in Havana Harbor, which yes. led to a war. Uh, and, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's charge up San Juan Hill, you know, remember the Maine, was the slogan of the day. Now, you know, 100 years later, some scientists went back, uh, actually did some digging, you know, went, went, went uh, down below the surface into the, you know, remains of the Maine and found out doing some scientific testing that the main was not sunk by the quote enemy by terrorists it was it, there was a fire okay yeah, yeah coal fire you know so as a consequence the the whole you know premise of a war was based on an incident based on false information same thing happened with the Vietnam War, the Tonkin Gulf incident. So there have been conspiracies to cover things up in American life. You know, we have a long history of, of that. You know, just the other week, the Toledo Blade newspaper covered, did a whole week's worth of reporting on massacres in Vietnam by American soldiers that we knew nothing about. Yeah. That were never reported. I think what the lesson is in all of this is that we have to be skeptical. We have to ask questions. We have to be critical. We can't just accept the official version of reality. That's what I try to do with Beyond JFK 10 years ago. Sure. Uh, that's what I tried to do with my new book called Embedded Weapons of Mass Deception. You know, we might want to quote Michael Moore at this point when he said that, I don't, I don't believe in conspiracy theories uh, unless they're real. <laughs> Do you have any predictions for what's going to happen in the next few months leading up to the election 2004? Well, you know, it's a chaotic situation. What we're seeing is is that a lot of uh, kind of deceptive practices that led to the war, a lot of this stuff is unraveling. I think there's a great deal of panic in Washington. As we speak today, Bremer was flown home. Paul Bremer, the administrator, so-called, the colonial governor of, of Iraq. Cover of Newsweek, Dick Cheney, how he misled the president. 
You know, so, yeah. you know, all of this stuff is beginning to kind of disentangle and unfold. And an administration that was so cocky, so arrogant, so sure of itself, so convinced that its plan had worked, that we had, you know, you know, suddenly all of this is beginning to look like a comedy. Okay, like, it's, and, uh, you know, it's, of course, it's a tragedy, but yeah. it has comic aspects to it. And clearly, there was a, a you know, conspiracy to this war. You know, under under our own criminal statutes, we recognize that there are people acting together in co- in cohort with each other to commit illegal deeds. That's under, and they're prosecuted under the RICO statutes. I mean, there is a whole body of conspiracy law, real, you know, real practices. And I think that, of course, there's been no investigation here, no indictment, no no trial. But uh, I, I believe there's a lot of evidence here for, you know, a, a small group of, of ideologues who decided that we were going to have this war no matter what and, and conspired, essentially, to... to uh, uh, propagandize the American people and make it happen, you know, and, and uh, we're living with the consequences of that right now. Final question about uh, any stories you need to pay more attention to, and uh, two of our favorites you just covered, one, the, the neoconservatives' grand plan for America. The other one, maybe I just want to ask you to comment on the hazards of the touchscreen voting, paperless trail, the, the potential for mischief. There's a lot of concern about that now, the, the de-bold uh, documents, uh, various companies that have all sorts of strange connections that are operating these new computer-operated voting machines, uh, ways in which there can be techno-fixes and ways in which voting can be manipulated. I did a film called Counting on Democracy about what happened in Florida working with Greg Palace. This is something that I've been investigating for quite a while, and, and you know, the right to vote is very important. The right to speak out is very important. You know, these are all our democrat. These are our democracy rights. Okay, the rights of of being a citizen of the United States, and and many of those rights are at risk. And one important right is our right to know, right to be informed, the right to get information. That's why when the mainstream media is not is not doing the job it should be doing, and I'm. I'm here to say somebody worked inside the mainstream media that it isn't, uh, then we need voices like yours, programs like yours, uh, projects like MediaChannel.org, films like Beyond JFK, to raise these kinds of questions. And, and that's what I'm hoping. I wonder if I could just give you a new website I've just put up. Please do. Where people could find out about all of my work over the years and I find it interesting. Your audience is very web savvy. Please do. It's MediaChannel.org slash... Dissectorville, D-I-S-S-E-C-T-O-R-V-I-L-L-E. I'm known as Danny Schechter, the news dissector, okay? And that's why it's called Dissectorville. So it's mediachannel.org slash Dissectorville. And, and there you'll find all of my films, all my books, and, and, and uh, more information about yours truly. Well, we certainly will do that. Uh, Danny Schechter, thanks so much for coming on Radio Parallax, and I hope we can, uh, we can talk to you again in the future. Pleasure. Anytime. All right. Bye-bye now. Thanks once again to Danny Schechter for joining us on this special edition of Radio Parallax, which is going out to you today on the slot normally occupied by Jeff Kravitz's Panic Attack. We would like to thank Jeff for loaning us this hour, and we would like to thank our guests today on the program, Danny Schechter, Gil Metavoy, and Stuart Gardner. This program was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. Please join us again in our regular time slot on Thursday at 5 o'clock, at which time we will be joined by Jane Rusconi, the 
research coordinator for Oliver Stone on his movie JFK, as well as Dr. Gary Aguilar, one of the few people who've actually seen the autopsy materials related to President John F. Kennedy. This is sort of a uh, John F. Kennedy week here on KDVS for our Public Affairs Hour. We talked a bit with Danny Schechter about that tomorrow. Jim DiEugenio will be joining Dr. Andy on Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology to talk about his book, The Assassinations. And on Friday, Richard Estes and Ron Glick will be talking to local historian Roger S. Peterson once again about the 40th anniversary of the assassination of John Kennedy. It should be some interesting listening this week. Stay tuned now for the Davis Radio Theater, featuring classic and original radio plays. Oh, and I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you.